Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 334 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to Yves Musolo and Robin McTell of Smokestab Games about their arcade action roguelite adventure game, Orbital Bullet. Bit of a tongue-twisting intro there. Struggled. In fact, it's like the seventh take of this. You can probably tell, but that's fine. You're probably just relaxing, listening to this show, wondering when I'm actually going to stop talking and actually get on with the main core of the show. I will be in about a minute, but before I do that, Orbital Bullet is an exceptional game. It really, really is. It creates a 2D environment, but then wraps it round a cylinder. And then that cylinder has multiple layers to it and then puts an action-adventure-like shooty game into it. It's just amazing. I first saw it at PAX East or West 2019. Can't remember which one. I get confused. You know this. Regular listeners will know. I get confused between the two shows. Because it's not, you know, they're kind of similar. So, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, I did see it at a PAX of some description. And it was it's just, I was completely drawn by it. But the thing is... It's kind of like a game called Nebulous on a Commodore 64 and Amstrad and Spectrum and basically an 8-bit game from the 1980s. And it kind of looks like that, but thankfully, thankfully, doesn't play like that because that game is painfully difficult to the point of um, smashing the screen in. So you just don't really want to get involved, whereas Orbital Bullet is not in any way frustrating or irritating. It's fantastic, in fact. So, without further ado... Let's listen to me from the past, talking to Eves and Robin. Chris, please get us out of this tongue twister. Robin and Eve, who are Hello. you? Hello. <laughs> who, are, who are you and what do you do? Um, we are game developers. Um, we are working at our own company called Smokestep, which is an indie development company from Germany. We're both from near Heidelberg. And we make our first indie game called Orbital Bullet. And it's a magnificent game, and it's what we're here to talk about. It caught my eye immediately at PAX East 2019, and uh, yeah, I kept on going back. It was, you know, I had other 
I had other appointments. I almost missed appointments because of that game. So, <laughs> like, you know, it's just bloody hell. But anyway, it's uh, seeing it out in the wild now. I'm so excited to see it because it was very embryonic back then. There was an idea. There was a kernel of an idea. Like just to start an acorn, a little seed of something. You were kept on saying, it's not quite finished yet. You know, you were wonderful about that. It's like, there's, some, there's more to be done. There's more to be done. It's, it's okay. I get the concept. It's fantastic. Hence me uh, asking uh, for you to be on the show. So thank you both. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> um, the next question then. And uh, this, this, this one can go as far back as you like. It doesn't matter. But how did you make your start making video games? Like uh, more on a uh, like the my my level of doing it, or as a group together? Just I think individually, I think it would be really interesting to understand how you made your start in make working in the industry as a oh. video game developer. You know, in that case, say, it's yeah. Oh, on. sorry, go on. In in that case, it's a little of a longer story, I guess. Mm. I think I was like eleven years old, maybe. Right. Which is kind of late for many developers we're talking to, but don't know. I wasn't really starting with six to code. It was more like <laughs> I was excited about Blender for the first time, mm. and it was like, "Hey, you can do games with it, not only 3D models." And then I made something like driving cubes. You can play as two players. There was no goal and nothing, but it was pretty cool to play around with it. And after school, I was like, "Yeah, I want to do this more." And yeah. Get studying game development in Heidelberg. And yeah, I think afterwards I was only developing games, like nothing else. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you do hear developers say, yeah, I started as a fetus. Like, what? Yeah, I was in the world. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like my, a... my mother was pumping code into my. What is it's, this? It's so often it's like, yeah, I started when I was free. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> I think it's I'm like, kind of late with 10 or That's okay. I started when I was about 10 or 11. It's fine. You know, so don't worry. Good heavens. But yeah, yeah. you're right. You do get people saying, well, I was three. Like, I was drawing most of the time and running around in nap. Oh, oh, just really. Anyway, you do get those. But uh, yes, yeah, so carry on. You, you're going to go off to. I think I'm pretty finished afterwards. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm just asking. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, when I was free, I already had ten games under my belt. No, <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> um, it was, <laughs> it was for me. I think the first time I came with kinda game development in contact was back in Warcraft Three, when they had this fantastic map editor, and it was just playing with it making own maps and stuff like that so it's not really game development in a way but it also had some mechanics from game development trigger stuff and everything and i think that was the first time i really had contact with this and then i did it with some other games where i did modding on my own servers and create own worlds in a way which was so my first steps in in the game development and then later on um i learned programming and started out uh, having a career as a normal programmer where I would do software programming all day long. And then I realized, hey, you can also program games. And I remembered back in the day when I played with these tools and this modding stuff. Then I started to work on my own games, like with basic Java programming. And 
I think my first game I ever made was just a. What was it? it was like this uh, spaceship clone game, kind of like asteroids. Just copy pasted and steal graphics from the internet, and <laughs> just put everything together like a like a first game. And from there on, I was really fascinated with game development because it was, for me, it was so much more rewarding than just writing software because I could actually play something. It was like you had this immediate results on the screen and it was responsive and it was like, oh my God, gaming is such a big passion of mine. And I do now my own games. And also from this point, I started to make more games. Um, I started to make some mobile games. And then at some point I thought about maybe I can educate myself more on this topic and I studied game development. This is also where I uh, met Robin because we both studied in Heidelberg. And from there on, we made games together, smaller projects. And this is also how we created our own company and started from there working on Orbital Bullet. It's clearly you learned a great deal at, uh, at this course you both attended, and that's fantastic. Um, I, I'm going to confess that I'm slightly, you know, I'm somewhat old. My my, my first computers didn't actually have any any sound. <laughs> It was just black and white. I'm not joking. Uh, but, you know, and they had one kilobyte of RAM. Yeah, one. One kilobyte. <laughs> which could expand to 16. I know, crazy. Crazy, you know. Um, but, um, so back then, you know, first of all, there's no high-level languages. It was all assembly. Um, but, you know, the fact that there are now courses that exist to, on the study of the art of making video games is, I think, fantastic. And it's a long time coming. I know it's very much established now, but it's a relatively recent invention. Um, so how did you find it? You know, honestly, did you did you really learn a great deal from, from, from it? I hope you did. Sounds like you went from the output of Orbital Bullet that I think you have. But what, what do you think? What was the biggest takeaway, do you think, of learning formally uh, being formally trained in the art of game development? Um, I would say it was uh, how we find it in the first place was like, if you look for something specific like game development, it's not that common, like something different, like some financial studies or something like that. Mm -hmm. So in, in our case, it was like the only thing here around or one of the only things. It's not that common that universities no. um, have that. So to go there in the first place was only by the limitation because it's only that one thing. Right. And what I would say would be the outcome is it's a very generalized kind of um, um, study because you have all these kind of uh, disciplines in game development. And during our study, we could look in most of them and just dip in a bit and get a sense of what this does in a game. Like, for example, modeling, texturing, animations, all were different modules. Right. And it's not like we became experts in one of them, but we could get a sense of what this module would do for a game and what's the, the purpose of it. And I think one big thing that helped us the most are like projects it's really a lot of learning by doing it's not like you can sit in in class for 10 hours and just have theoretical stuff it's also a lot of practical things and robin and i did that a lot 
We did stuff on the side. We did participate in game jams. And I think you can take the most out of such studies if you really do your hands-on stuff. Well, at least I would say this for me, because that was when I learned the most. Like, have this theoretical lessons and then um, actually do something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the act of creation, it, you can only study it for so long before you actually go and do it. And you know, mm. the best laid plans are, are, are basically destroyed as soon as they actually try to be executed. And that's yeah, fine. That, the great thing is that you have this safe environment while mm. studying. It's like you can do a project and test around, and if it fails, it's not a big deal. Like right. you're learning, and that's the like you yeah. want to learn, and that's why you do it. It's yep. not like you have to earn money or make the next big, no. big game. That's no, the best thing, I think. That, that comes when you graduate. It should. But that's a wonderful thing, takeaway. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good. Uh, the, the mindset to just... Failures are totally fine. Just do things. I think that's really something where you can grow fast and learn a lot. Yeah, you learn from both your failures and successes, of course. People don't talk about it nearly enough but you do learn a phenomenal amount from your successes because you basically go i'm going to continue doing that then <laughs> <laughs> that worked last time yeah. you're gonna do it. how often have you said that to yourselves i mean it's all like when we did that last thing we did, yeah let's do that again okay <laughs> so okay next question now, this is the nebulous question this is the dreaded third question which many many guests go Chris, why are you getting wound up? I am because this is a really hard question to answer. But one, I'll help, of course. Otherwise, the show will grind to a shuddering halt. So here it is, and you can answer it as individually or as the studio uh, that is mm-hmm. Smokestab. What are your biggest influences? Do you think as creators? I think my my biggest influence for making games is my my passion and my childhood with games because in my childhood i played a lot of games and even today i play a lot of games but it's i don't know it really like in our in our in our village or city it's like i had good friends and i played a lot with them it's like we had this really good experience in games. And these were things in my childhood which are only things could I reimagine in games. It's not like something in real life. That sounds kind of crazy, but I think it really gave me such good feelings and so much backs from playing games. That's really something I want to also give back to other people, and the younger generations with my games or our games in that case. So, so would you say the joy of actually experiencing another reality that's not that's been imagined, and then interacting with that does that sound reasonable? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's going into an adventure, and mm. the adventure can be really crazy in games. Yes. Like imagine you're starting some role-playing games with your friends, and you become this kind of warrior, and you go into dungeons, and it's so so fascinating and. You can't experience such thing in real life in in that way, like that kind of fantasy. <laughs> I mean, there there are still adventures you can experience in real life, but I like the the fantasy and the worlds that games create. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm running a, a couple of D&D games at the moment. This Wednesday past the the bard cast a Bob Fireball into the darkness. He actually did it. So I'm going to attack the darkness. Because so, he's, he's one of the rare characters who can't see in the dark. All the others can, but he can't. And uh, he said, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Is it just everyone else was directing him, saying, "Put just go shoot it down there because they can see this great host of enemies." And said, "Just shoot, shoot, shoot!" And like, what there? Because yes, there. Like, I attack the darkness, and I gave him an inspiration point for saying I attack the darkness. But um, you know, it's it's you're right. I mean, again, tabletop RPGs, a different kettle of fish. I get that, or is it? I don't know, but. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think they share some similarities. Yeah, they do. For they sure. do. Uh, as a DM, I can definitely relate to game design because I'm constantly making up stuff as I go along. Because you have to, you know. Players <laughs> go off and like, where are you going? That's not important. Oh, never mind. <laughs> 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 so, um, but yeah, uh, that's that's a wonderful thing to to latch onto that that feeling of. To experiencing what someone else has created. Now, you can get that from literature and film and what have you, but to, you can't yeah. interact with it. You can only observe it, which is fine too. That's wonderful too. And with, with text and literature, you can just almost... It becomes part of you because you're imagining what it looks like. It's not mm-hmm. until someone makes a film adaptation, but you know what I mean? It's it's your imagination <laughs> that fuels that. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I think the cut is not that big. Between a movie and a film... Like uh, I also always had this like imagination of building massive worlds that tell yeah. stories yeah. I want to experience. Uh, like I loved Kingdom Hearts when we were kids. We always played it like a single player game with four people, like swapping the controller around. Right. And I think we didn't even have a memory card for the PlayStation, so we started all over again and had like the first two worlds and nothing more because we had to restart the next day. But we <laughs> wow. played it like so often. And I think creating those big worlds is super amazing and something everyone wants to do anyhow sometime. I don't know if we will like create this massive worlds, but now we're creating a smaller one with with nice adventures. Maybe that's the, the first step into the direction. Maybe, but I do find Orbital Bullet is quite vast in other ways, but we'll talk about that later. But there is there is a there is a a, a volume of space that you've created which you're right it is constrained but it definitely feels spacious it feels grand you've done a good job of doing that so we'll talk about that later though my next question uh on this first half is um and again this is individually i think this one this you might both of you might have different takes on this one and the question is this what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, I think I can easily start with this. Because <laughs> <it's, laughs> I think uh, for me, it would be like JW from X Flambia. Because right. yes. I really liked his attempt to games and his dedication to the feeling of games and uh, the feedback stuff and all of that. Because I think that's really such an important part to make games responsive and the communication of actually your input to the game and what comes back from the game. This is something I really like and I really think does JW super well. And that's also why I kind of look up 
to him in that regard because it really is for me like the make or break of a game for example if i play a knight or something like that and i swipe with the sword then i think this has to feel powerful for me otherwise it's a break of immersion and this is really something if you have this break in in game worlds it really is something that sets me off so that's why i'm really dedicated to these kind of topics right right yeah it's a great response yeah i guess i can't give that kind of a deep response as Eve does because he is just super super hyped about them. Okay. I don't actually I don't know if I have like a real Is any particular I developer don't... you sort of point at and go, You you there, you carry on doing the thing you do. Anyone like it could be a person or a company, it doesn't matter who. I have to say something I really appreciate is the way Nintendo approaches stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, a person itself, but like, uh, just take the Wii U or Nintendo Switch, like developing those crazy consoles, which are always like laughed about at the start, like putting two controllers separate for each hand. It's like super crazy idea and they always laugh about them. But in the end, it's like a extremely nice product. Like the Nintendo Switch is one of the best consoles. I don't really play on consoles, but the Switch, I, I own a Switch. No mm. PlayStation, no Xbox, because they like take a risk, uh, risk, and mm. have like new ideas. And I like yeah. that they still do it now, even though it's like a super old company. Super, super old. They started mm. making playing yeah. cards. I mean, that's they're, they're at their core, and you know, some people have a, an issue with this, but it's true. They were a toy company, and I'm going to venture and say they still are. And that some people don't like that, but ultimately that's their 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 core. That that that's what they're about. There's nothing wrong with that because you know it's and that's one of the reasons why they are the way they are. That's why they do weird stuff. You say weird, but if you look in the toy industry, nothing's actually that weird. Yeah, true. Think about <laughs> it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. what you just said, I didn't know that to be honest, but yeah, yeah it, it makes a lot of sense. So all the risks that you're referring to, that's in the spotlight of a video game industry, which is risk-averse, as you well know, both of you. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. whereas the toy industry isn't. That's, that's, its, that's its core. It, it has to. You know, it thrives on new and innovation because otherwise the things they make die. Right, mm-hmm. so that's how Nintendo are. You see, that's where they get their thing from. That's how they're 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 nourished by risk, because they're a toy company. So again, not something that people want to admit or to discuss because that has negative issues. People believe that well, I'm, I'm not playing over toys. Like <laughs> I know, I know. You know, you're you're playing some really. You're playing Doom on this thing for pity's sake. I mean, I get that. Doom sixty four is pretty cool, by the way. <laughs> um, and that's that's fine. But ultimately, Nintendo at its core, which the only reality they will admit to, is that they are they they follow the philosophy and strategies of a toy company. 
which is why one of the many reasons, not the only reason, that's ignorant, but one of the many reasons why they do what they do. Okay, excellent answers. And again, uh, there's no apology to say, oh, Nintendo. That's a fantastic response. They've made magnificent games. I do mean that. Some that they missed, you know, I'm not a big fan of Super Mario 2. Not a big fan. Super Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. I think they've missed the trick of that one. But most of the time, they've, they've hit. But there have been misses. We all know that. So, last question of the first half. Well done. See, you made it. <laughs> um, the question is this. What are you playing right now? I think I can start on that one, to be honest. Um, I like competitive games a lot like playing online games. I played Tekken for quite a while now, like Tekken 7. Um, and I play League of Legends for like 10 years now. I think I started in season 3 or 4. And it's kind of like the opposite of what we're like creating for ourselves, mm -hmm. but I, I just love the competitive aspect of games, like the strategy and mind gaming with, with other players and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see the appeal. Um, I mean, speaking of Tekken, I've I've built my own joysticks. I've got an eight-way joystick arcade stick. I know I shouldn't be using eight-way. I know. I, I, I really, know. I really wanted to get one like a an arcade stick for fighting, but I just stuck uh, to the controller because I didn't want to like learn everything from again. scratch again. It's, it's, it's like you drop to a completely noob overnight when you swap the, the yeah, input device. <laughs> you do, you do. But it's wonderful having an eight-way because you can do the quarter circle so easily because it goes click, click. And it's like, oh, there you go. That's it. You know, so that's wonderful. Yeah, but it is. really understand it. A friend of mine is using one too and he's way better than me, but yeah, yeah. I see it. It's great. And when I've, I think the second uh, kind of games I play is like mm. the chill ones. Like okay. uh, Stardew Valley yes. in front of the TV on the Switch yes. is a great game, alone or with, with people. I think those those are like the the two big ones. Cool. And MOBAs, are, that, that's a whole discussion for another time. We can talk about that afterwards. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't play mobile games at all. No, not mobile, MOBA. Oh, M MOBA. Oh, MOBAs, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. We could, like, talk for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole thesis, isn't it, really? But uh, I, I have enthusiasms and negatives, but then again, it's all genres. But also go back to Warcraft 3 with Dota, aren't we? Uh, what else have we got? <laughs> what else are we distracting ourselves for, away from what we should be doing? So, for me, I'm also a bit in the competitive nature, but more, like, towards shooter games. Like Counter Strike, for example, is a big time thing. But recently, I'm more tracked to multiplayer corp games like Valheim, for example. It's more like games I can play in a bigger group with friends. What uh, recently is something that I play a lot. And it's just the feeling hanging out with friends in Discord and also playing something on the side, which can be really chilled. It doesn't need to be something hectic. I think chilled is something i really look for in the recent days to play yeah i mean i'm gonna confess that i found animal crossing to land just at the right time well yeah. animal crossing was great i yeah did i I'm still playing it, it. i'm still know. playing it sorry i dropped it yeah when i did not get the like the blueprints i needed to build the stuff i wanted it oh. was like a, a yeah. invisible wall i couldn't yeah, climb over yeah. and then i <laughs> dropped it I oh, know. No, I still, I still, I can't, it's actually part of my chores now. 
you know, do the laundry, dishes, Animal Crossing. It was pretty funny. I had like an 11 a.m. alarm clock for selling my, is it radish? What is it in English? Turnips. Turnips. Yeah, the turnips. Right, right. Yeah, the turnips. Yeah. There was like an alarm saying, uh, sell your turnips with five exclamation marks. That's right, yeah, before this time. It's just, and yeah, and we're, I mean, the whole narrative of Tom Nook being a gangster boss is just basically exploiting you. All true. Um, but uh, no, I, I still, I found it, it's just a wonderful anchor. It's weird. And you put, well, why are you still playing this? Is it because it's just, I don't have to think. Just for, for finally, just for a little moment and stop the noise in my own head please to stop and my way of doing that is just to relax for 20 minutes i don't play i've I've reached a zenith where i've got nothing more to do all i do is weed and pick up some sticks and then have a chat to the residents and then that's it i don't do anything i mean the only exception is i did actually build some mario stuff because they sold a bunch of mario paraphernalia lots of stuff like blocks and stars and shells that you can build and put on your island so i built i did that (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah anyway well that's that's really you know good to, to hear that you're still cracking away at um uh, shooting each other and or just yelling at each other, going. I said, go mid, mid. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have we been through this? <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, let's uh, press on to the uh, second half of the show, where we shall be delving deep into orbital bullet. Listeners will know isn't a question because we can't talk in depth about Obutu Bullet until we know what it is. So please, gentlemen, either of you, uh, wish you the very best of luck with doing this, by the way. Please tell us what is Obutu Bullet. Yeah, I would say Orbital Bullet is a 360 action platformer where everything takes place in the circular worlds because that's the thing that makes it unique. Um, you play on cylinders. And so do all your actions in this game. It's like 
uh, fast-paced action game with a lot of shooting, and the shooting actually flies in these circles, which make combat and everything really interesting. And the cool thing about it, it still feels like some tight combat from 2D platformers, but at the same time we have this 3D space in which we can make these crazy things and this shooting and circle things and everything just makes combat really unique in our game, I would say. It is phenomenally fast. I mean, that's the thing that really grabs people. It's one of the things that grabbed me is how fast it is. But I want to focus a little bit on the visuals. Now, I'm about to say something that my older listeners will know. This is basically like Nebulous. There you go. Now you understand. (laughs) So uh, uh, Nebulous is a very, very, very old game from 1984, maybe 83, something. I think it's 84. I'll check. Doesn't matter. But anyway, it was on, uh, and it was very famous. It was basically a cylinder, and you're playing this little green fellow, and you're you're jumping uh, up and down, up in this cylinder. You climb in this cylinder trying to get to the top. And uh, that's a that's so that's a, a visual thing that existed all those years ago. I suspect you didn't know it existed. That's fine because the pacing of that game was nothing like the speed of Orbital Bullet. You couldn't shoot. You could only jump. And it was ridiculously difficult. I mean, it was really hard. By all means, you can actually download it for free and play on emulators and stuff. I recommend you do that for your own, just for about 10 minutes and then stop because it's not actually very entertaining because it's punishingly hard. Um, okay. but it's, there are bits in it and go, well, that's not even fair. The reason, the reason being, is this was made 40 years ago, right? Which means that people didn't know game design like we do now, all right? So they were making it up as they were going along. They didn't know. So they would do stupid things and go, this is, this is awful. So, yeah, 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 it is. It is. People still love playing it, don't get me wrong. Like People still play Asteroids and those, like Pac-Man's been re-released again as the Pac-Man 99. People still play those games, I grant you that. But this particular one, oh boy. But the visuals (laughs) and and the the idea of a cylinder as being a core visual aspect of the world, that's what drew me to Orbital Bullet, believe it or not. I looked at it, I think I might have said to you at the time, oh, it's like Nebulous. Yeah, I think you were the one telling me about the game. Yeah. I didn't know it before, I guess. No, no. It's like, oh, it's like Nebulous. And it was, a, you know, back then it was an amazing trick. It was like, how did you do this? Because, you know, this is all before the Unity and stuff like that. This is done mm-hmm. using just, you know, assembly. So the, the technology they were doing, they are displaying, it was astounding. You know, it was more of a tech demo than a game. How often have we encountered this? Anyway. So it was more, it was more, more like that. So people were astounded by this, and uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's do have a look, a look on YouTube. I think you should play it though because it's quite fun. But no, that's really to the listeners. You're on a cylinder. In fact, Animal Crossing's on a cylinder as well. There you go. So there's a there's a theme. It's on a horizontal <laughs> cylinder, but it's still a cylinder. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, you're jumping up it, and it's going so so fast, but. The one thing I found when playing Orbital Bullet, and I was to the wee hours this morning playing mm. Orbital Bullet, I was like, oh boy, I should really go to bed. But I, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still, you know, still playing this awesome game. And the thing about Orbital Bullet is you need to know where you are in relation to the enemies 
and the obstacle mm-hmm. that are present in the level. So how yeah. have you found designing each level, knowing this to be true, knowing that you have wrapped everything around this cylinder? How have you found designing that, making sure that the player has fair warning and also really does know where they are in relation to everything else? How have you found designing that? I think it didn't come by nature, to be honest, because mm-hmm. at first the game didn't even start on a cylinder, so it's really a longer evolving process. And I think the more it shaped to the cylinder kind of thing and became more 3D, the more we realized ourselves when uh, how combat in this games re- uh, in this game especially really works. And it's really interesting because you, like you already said, it's a fast game. But every time you come in a new level, you get some kind of shot into it. And then you start observing the whole scene of the level and all the levels and where the enemies are. And it really becomes, even it's a fast game, becomes kind of like some puzzle kind of thing. Like how to figure out the combat. How do you figure out where everyone is? And how do you consider the 360 mechanic, like shooting enemies around? And how do you um, try to fight against these enemies? That's really something that made this game so interesting. And we had some iterations where we had this whole destroyable world and this ruined the whole combat because then you actually could just become a turret and destroy everything by only shooting. And then we started to um, develop some real levels like, okay, what does make sense in this game? We have this 360 mechanic, so it wouldn't be good if the levels would all be clumped. So we made them more open. And it was really like from iteration to iteration, we got a better sense of feeling how we make combat in this game interesting and how we need to design the levels that you can actually make use of the 360 mechanic but also keep them interesting in a way. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I think um, it, 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 that's the one thing I was really impressed by, which was my first question, is how you successfully done that. I understand you're still working on it because it is in early access, so there's going to be some changes, but the core of the experience is still... I never felt that... Oh, that's not fair. I didn't see that coming. Um, I think... You, yeah, go on. I think something we did pretty early in the game was including those neon colors, like this pink, purple, yellow in the later planets. So enemies that will attack you are like shining or glowing. So you always know who's who will attack you. And if he's far away, you can imagine that he will shoot at you. If he's close, he will jump at you. I think that's something we did really, really early in the game and still have in the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's also something really interesting. I think a lot of the core principles of the game came from constraints, like we mentioned before. We came from the university, and we did a lot of the stuff in the game, really like in a programmer kind of way. Also on the art in the first uh, prototypes. So this neon color thing was just for us a little hack we used because we couldn't do proper art. <laughs> and we thought, hey, why not use neon color and make it glow? Yeah. And it seemed really cool. Like, if you don't have much color in your game, then you have these enemies pop out. 
it really makes the combat very clear in a way, because like Robin already said, if the enemies start glowing, then you know, okay, they attack now. Um, yeah. 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 Um, we'll talk about the enemies in a minute, because I've got a question about because <laughs> there's some wonderful stuff you've got going on there. But uh, before I do, I want to talk about the player now. So in Orbital Bullet, health, I found, is hard to get. It's hard to replenish. It's You need to really, really look after yourself. You can't just go, oh, don't worry, there'll be a health pack coming up. No, no. This is like no. So for for decades of playing Call of Duty, so I'm pointing at you, Cod. You know, it's how it works, right? It's just like yeah. you go through an area, kill all the all, all the monster closets because that's what it is. A series of monster closets that spawn. You t- take them all out, and then um, and then you go. Oh, there's a massive rack of um, health and and stuff like that. Or conversely, when you enter a room and it's filled with ammo and gear, and you go. There's a boss nearby, isn't there? <laughs> there's there's, there's going to be a boss there. Whereas in Orbital Bullet, no. No, it's 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 really hard. And also getting health back is expensive. When you go to the shop and you go, I can heal you, it's going to cost you <laughs> a lot. Uh, and uh, so I just want to know why. Why is it this way with Orbital Bullet that health is uh, something very precious? So I think right now in the game it's like you said a very precious resource because it's also the resource number one that keeps you in the run. We have some ways which makes it easier for you to acquire health, but also we, um, how can I say this properly? It's like we we embrace this fast gameplay right. of the of the game and. If you go fast, then the the, the playtimes will be quite short. So it's kind of like you don't need the, the biggest life pool and the biggest life replenish things. We give you tools along the way. Like then you can acquire a heal pot and later on you can place heal pillars in the world. But it will be introduced in a later stage when it's more important. So in the first stages, it's it's okay if you fail. It's okay if you learn. And if you do it quick, but you will get a hang of the of the enemies because they are all pattern based. So it's really like uh, learning the mechanics make you makes you so much better in this game, and and you don't are so reliant on the health early on. Yeah, if that makes I'm... sense in a way. <laughs> yeah, and also like yeah. dying is a form of progress because yes. you can only skill when you're dead. Yes, that's, that's why. You have to die sometime to, yeah. to get the progress, so you shouldn't be alive too long. And it's okay to have less life at the beginning, and later on you can have supportive stuff. Uh, yeah, as you've said. What it did to me is it felt, I felt like I really had to avoid contact at all costs. And what I loved <laughs> what you've done here is every time I had a co- anywhere near an enemy, you get this big button flash up going, B to dodge, please dodge, please dodge. <laughs> and, and it's like it wasn't particularly subtle and that's fine because the speed of the game des- demanded you to, to remind the player you do have a dodge button please use it <laughs> yeah, so. one interesting thing is also this is maybe not obvious to everyone at mm. first but in a lot of games you can go to enemies very close and just run them down but because you have this smaller life pool, you're also 
bit more emphasized to play from a distance. Yeah. And then you get a better hang of the 360 mechanic because yeah. naturally you try to play from further behind. And then step by step you realize, okay, the range shots are really cool. Enemies can do that too, but if I use them correctly, I'm quite safe. And then you realize, okay, maybe I can also shoot the other way around and hit enemies from behind and stuff like that. And it's really like become a bit more defensive. And the more you know about the game and the more you learn about it, the more you can also engage in the close combat, which will really then ramp up your speed of the game. Absolutely. I, the satisfaction of taking someone out from the other side of the level is, is not cannot be underestimated. Like, oh, they're dead. I thought, oh, <laughs> I was about to come round and finish them off, but they're already dead. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, that especially happened when I was using the machine gun. I was like, oh, range of that thing. Damn. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, speaking of weapons, I want to talk about the upgrades and the abilities because you can upgrade your... You did say you can skill up between deaths. Absolutely true. But... You can also have ability upgrades and uh, weapons, different weapons and that kind of thing. Can you give a bit of a smattering about how you design these for Orbital Bullet? Yeah, Robin, I think you can tell something about it. The weapons is pretty straightforward. We're like, most of the time we're thinking about how to emphasize the 360 degree shooting. Like, what cool long range weapon could could we produce? Like, or let's have a laser sight on the on the weapon so you can see what you're aiming at on the back of the ring. Or like the rocket launcher who flies like more than just one one round around the the circle. And on the other side we're like, okay, but what if you have to go close combat? It's like what could be cool, like spraying them to death or bursting them with a shotgun. So most of the time it's just what f- will feel good for the player and we want to design exactly that. Yeah, and it really does. Uh, again, I love the fact that bullets do light up the world. I've actually used that to see what's ahead sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's like, okay, you've done a fantastic job of the lighting here, but I can't quite make that out. What's that? Oh, I've just killed something. Then I've just shot at something. Now it's heading my way. Uh, that's 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 fine. But uh, no, I think you know you have the different abilities, and you do. You know, there's the one where it's you uh, the you don't get pushed back so much when you've got a, a weapon that fires off. You know, the knockback, uh, that's pretty good. And there's there's all sorts of little... I mean, I don't want to go into too much because it goes and goes. And when you, when you actually progress and progress and progress, um, it, it's very, very satisfying experience seeing all these different environments and worlds that uh, you've created. So I don't want to go into the spoilers, so to speak. But I just think um, the sense of progression is is quite pronounced in Orbital Bullet, which is is, is, is really well done. Because you can, with games like this, it can become a fatigue. You can get, you know, tired uh, um, and very quickly. Whereas you've actually created a sense of, um, I wonder what's next, you know. Mm. And that's what's kept me going with playing it into the wee hours of the, of the morning is, I wonder <laughs> what's next, <laughs> you know. So, and you know, the the design of the weapons and stuff. Some of them are. It definitely feels like I prefer one sort of weapon over the other. And you've you've allowed players to, you know, change depending on their style. Some like um, deliberate shots that are very slow and like I've got I've got something in my sights, then I'll shoot. Others are just spray and pray. That's fine. <laughs> you know, but, um, 
I'm the latter, I'm afraid. So, um, <laughs> running in, yeah, just running in and shooting. Hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll yeah. get something in as I do. Closing the eyes and just spraying <laughs> the crop. Yep, totally works. Four times out of ten. So, um, anyway, so you should see me play Call of Duty. Actually, no, you don't want to see that. So, um, final question. I know all good things must come to an end, but here we are. Final question is this. The enemy design, or the creature design, if you like, in Orbital Bullet is very uh, simplistic, simplistic, sympathetic, I should say, to the cylindrical or cylinder shape of the world that the game is set in, or the worlds that the game is set in. What unique aspects of these creatures have you applied that would not work in a traditional 2D flat plane action-adventure game? I think our first types of creatures that we uh, made into the game that made really a lot of sense are shield type of enemies that yes. can only be attacked from one side. Yes. Where it's like, if you shoot straight in like a 2D platform in front of it, you always have to get behind the enemy to kill him. But in our game, often it's really simple. If you have the right weapon, just turn around <laughs> and shoot along the whole circle to get the enemy hit from behind. And this is a very simple mechanic in a way, but in our game, it really made this 360 combat really interesting, mm. like the shield type of thing, um, which you cannot have in a normal 2D platformer. And this also is like this 360 mechanic can f make you feel really powerful, but it's also a very powerful tool for enemies. Like suddenly an enemy can also shoot like the full 360 degree and can devastate everything on one complete row of the level. So that's really something uh, that makes really good use of the mechanics of the game and makes enemies really interesting in a way. Absolutely. I think the sense initially that oh, I'm safe here, be fine, nothing can touch me, I'll be all right. I'll just uh, chill out here and try to figure out what to do. <laughs> oh, wait, something heading my way. That's not going to work. I'm going to have to move now. <laughs> Uh, and there was one particular level quite early on where there's a thing in the middle that's pulsing. Yes, yes. <laughs> this um, is also really interesting of the game because we have on the one level the cylindric kind of uh, levels yes. and the full 360 of it, but there's also a twist to it where we have yes. different kind of um, level stack. Like you have an inner circle, a normal mm. circle, and an outer yeah. circle. Yes. And it's also interesting to have interactions between those like enemies from inside can attack you on the outside and then suddenly this gives a whole nother dynamic to the combat because this is some interesting mechanic in the game like the pulsing thing it attacks from the inside to the outside yeah and then yeah. you suddenly are in the situation what do i do here do i yes. first clear everything outside or do i try to kill everything inside to disable this kind of thing yeah and then yeah. go back yeah it's definitely a case of all, and it relates to my first question. You know, knowing where you are in relation to everything else and the inner circles. Yeah. You're right. I should have mentioned that everyone. There's a like a 2.5D thing going on where you, there's depth to the cylinder. You can go inside inner layers of it. That's not like Nebulous. Nebulous didn't allow you to do that. But this thing has <laughs> different. You, you can push inside, and that's really good. That was that was really quite thrilling to experience. Like oh. 
You know, I can actually, you're right, the pulsing thing I wanted to get rid of as soon as humanly possible. It's like, this won't do. This will not do. This is, this is rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some enemies will just like throw grenades and stuff. Yeah. Over yeah. the circle. So that's also, they have mechanics the player does not have because yeah. you can't shoot over the no, you can't. different drinks. That's that. That was also me going. Well, it's just that's just rude. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, so that's fantastic. And the shielded ones are wonderful. I love taking them out. The satisfaction I get from just you know jumping backwards and forwards like shoot, 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 bang. There you go. Go away. <laughs> uh, but yeah, really good fun. So, orbital bullet, which is developed by Smoke Stab. That's a great name for a studio. What? Where did you get it from? <laughs> we were like <laughs> we were like brainstorming at the whiteboard right. uh, and just wrote down words we uh, found sound cool right. and then we just paired them up I think <laughs> we also used some random generator and stuff it was, so well, it's super random at least it wasn't yellow pig could have been that <laughs> could have ended up with that but, uh, it, it was a training a really training brainstorm sessions over yeah. a couple of days Right. Like coming up with something cool. But um, that is was, that is uh, a good I mean, it feels like, you know, the I mean it's a great name for a rogue, isn't it? What's you call what are you called? Uh smoke stab. It's a bit it's a bit on the nose, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just I'm living it, so I may as well beat it. <laughs> so I might yeah. actually use it as a character name if you don't mind. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> you need to send a screenshot if you do so. Yeah. <laughs> So, but it's uh, published by Assemble Entertainment. We've uh, they've got yes. a really good roster of games. We've had uh, Encodia. They 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 published that too. They've they've been on the show. So yeah, uh, yeah, they've got a really good um, curator. And Endzone is really blowing up. Mm. Like their and Game Survivor. Yeah, yeah. You're the second developer I've had on from them. So clearly they're doing something right. Um, but uh, at the time of release of this podcast, the this this uh, orbital bullet is out on early access via Steam. Um, now, what platform? It is Windows PC, isn't it? Yes. Yes, that's what I played. <laughs> I, I've, I, I'm very hesitant because I have got in trouble before, and uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll let you sort of direct me. And so, rather than me list out a bunch of platforms we haven't announced any of those there Chris what are you saying um, <laughs> so we've got terrible trouble but uh, anyway it's been an absolute delight having you both on yeah thanks, thanks for having thanks us thanks for having us here <laughs> I hope you had fun I, I know I did recording this and um, I do genuinely wish you the very very best of luck with Orbital Bullet I thought it I think it's a fantastic game and people should be playing it and, yeah thank um, you and uh, you're more than welcome to return, and we'll come back and talk about what well, the next game you've got cooking in your brains. Uh, and uh, because we will be here, trust me, we've had a lot of return guests, and uh, I think the record is five now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it would be great, cool. very, very prolific. Yeah, it would but, be great. Yeah, but we'd <laughs> love, love you to have you on. And but in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you, thanks so much, Chris. <laughs> you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, Cane and Rinse, 
www.sportsradio.com.